we're in Luke, and we're in Luke chapter 6 this morning. And um, let me just, I want to back up just a little bit, because last, word, uh, last week we talked about, um, we talked about the first parable, uh, and it's called the law of preeminence, when, the, when, the, when something, for, the first time something occurs or appears in the scripture, you're supposed to take like special note of that, and we noticed that the first parable that appeared actually were two parables together. And Jesus was talking about, uh, he talked about uh, no one takes a new garment and cuts it up and puts it on an old garment. We use the example of jeans. If you had an old pair of jeans where the knees were falling out and pockets were falling off and someone gave you a new pair of jeans, you wouldn't cut up that new pair of jeans and, and patch up the knees with a you know, with a, a cut out of the new jeans and cut off the pocket off the new jeans and put it on, on your old jeans. And we talked about uh, how no one puts in uh, new wine in old wineskins because of this fermenting action that's going on over a period of time. The wineskins can only take so much of that and, and then they just like, they, they break. They become brittle and, and they break spilling the wine. And what Jesus was saying to the religious leaders at that time is that your system, there's no way to patch up this old system, the system that you've been working with. It can't be patched up. Uh, you know, it's, it's over. And, and you can't put in, you know, a new wine. He's bringing this new wine, and you can't put in this new wine in this old system or, or in this, old, this, you know, this old way. And so Jesus was saying it's passing away. It hadn't yet passed away. But because uh, Jesus hasn't fulfilled um, the work that he had come to do, which was dying on the cross. And so um, with that in mind, you know, the, the old is passing away and the new is coming. And so in Luke chapter 6, we, um, it's kind of funny in, the, in a way, and we'll, we'll, we'll see the funniness in, uh, of it in just a moment. But, but these religious leaders were looking at Jesus, I mean, with, you know, just eyes of scrutiny, just like, you know, any way that we can catch him, any way that we can nail him, we're going to, you know, it's just like, you know, like in this story, for example, the, the disciples are, are walking through the grain fields and they're picking grain. And it's almost like if the scribes and the Pharisees, if you could imagine, you know, you've seen how they, how they dress and they got those little hats that go up and over and top like that. But it's almost like if they were in the wheat fields with their binoculars, oh, here he comes, here he comes, here comes Jesus. Hey, did you see them? They were picking grain. They're picking grain. So let's pick up there. One Sabbath, uh, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some of the heads of the grains and rub them together in their uh, hands and eat the kernels. And some of the Pharisees asked, why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you never read what David did when he, was, when he and his companions were hungry? He entered into the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, and he ate it, which is lawful only for the priest to eat, and he gave some to his companions. And Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. So let's just, let's just you know, start right there. You know, what they're saying is, that, and I've, I've mentioned this before, uh, but, you know, as we think about, you know, the, the law, we have what, you know, the, we, we, ha we have the first five books of the Bible, which are called the, the Torah or the Torah, and that's, you know, Genesis and Exodus and Numbers and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, and uh, then later on, uh, 
the religious leaders or the scribes and Pharisees, religious leaders began to, you know, add to that verbally. They began to add to, well, what's this mean? And they began to add what they thought it meant. And, uh, and that, you know, and then they begin to write that down. And those, those two items are called the writing down, as I believe, or the verbal was called the Talmud, and the writing down was called the Mishnah. And, and so it just began to grow. I mean, it was so much larger than the Bible itself. It was so much larger than the Old Testament that it was, and, and, and I'll give you a couple of examples of that in just a moment. But I want us to just think about, in, 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 this, in this, just this scenario, this scenario that we just read, whose law were they violating? Are they violating, is it, was this a violation of God's law, or was this a violation of, of, the, of the man's law? And so what we see, let me just read it again, is his, his disciples begin to pick some of the heads, and they begin to rub it with their hands and eat the kernels, and some of the Pharisees says, why are you doing you know, what's unlawful on the Sabbath. Now, in the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 23, the scripture addresses this, and let me just read it to you. It says, if you enter into your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat all the grapes that you want, but do not put any, any in a basket. And if you enter into your neighbor's grain field, you may pick kernels with your hands, but, do, but you must not put your sickle into the standing grain. It's a fine line between taking, you know, what you need for a meal and, and honestly, in stealing. You know, you don't bring a sickle in and, you know, harvest your neighbor's field or bring in baskets and start picking grapes. Um, I remember, uh, this is many years ago, we were in Israel and uh, it was the cherries. I, I don't know what time of year it was, but the cherries were ripe. And, man, they were not only ripe, but irresistible. And so uh, we were walking along. We were walking into town. And so I just thought, hey, let's just go, you know, pick some cherries. And uh, after a while, I hear this guy, you know, he's like screaming and yelling in some language that I didn't understand. Um, but I think he was trying to tell me to stop picking the cherries. <laughs> but uh, they were so delicious. And I just yelled back. I said, I'm gleaning, I'm gleaning. And uh, apparently he knew enough English to say, no, you're stealing, you're stealing. And uh, so I went down and uh, I didn't want to be a thief in Israel, you know, the Holy Land there, place like that. So it's okay to be a thief here, but no, just kidding. Just kidding. No. Uh, so, but uh, so I went over and paid the guy for what I ate and we bought some more and took them and gave them away. But anyway, this was the law. This is what, in Deuteronomy, this is what it's talking about, that you could walk through if you were, and that's what they were doing. The, the disciples and Jesus were just kind of, they're walking through the field, and they're, you know, taking a, you know, it was, it was probably harvest time. It was probably either wheat or, or barley, and, you know, they'd take a handful, and, you know, they'd take a, the head of the grain, and they'd just kind of, like, rub them together, and um, then they would, um, you know, just kind of maybe, you know, blow on that, and, and the shell would fall off, and they they they'd eat the the fruit of that. Well, the Pharisees and their law, they this is not what you know what what God is saying here. He didn't say they added to the Sabbath to it. You're breaking the law because you're doing this on the Sabbath. But the way that they figured the, their reasoning was that their picking of the of the grain was uh, gathering, and that gathering was work, and you couldn't do that on the Sabbath. And the rubbing it together in your hand was threshing. That was like threshing the grain. 
and blowing on it, you know, was like a, a winnowing. So, so they said, you're in violation of the law. You're breaking the Sabbath. And notice that all of these, you know, so we go back, and, and we'll, we'll do that in just a moment, that it just seemed like the prime time to catch Jesus doing something was, was on the Sabbath. It was just like this is when Jesus was doing his work. It's when the people were gathered together. It's when he was in the synagogue. It was when he was, you know, when he was teaching. And so, uh, you know, there are, there are rules, and, you know, there are certain rules that, that certainly are fine, you know, and there are different rules for different people. If you're a parent, you know, you have different rules for your kids. You know, like if you've got young kids, you know, they, they have a certain bedtime, and, you know, older kids, it's like I want you to be home by 11 o'clock or 12 o'clock. Rules about driving the car, rules about, you know, making the beds and, and cleaning the house. But there are some rules that become so burdensome and so oppressive, and that's what the re religious leaders, the Pharisees, were doing. By adding to God's uh, law their rules, they made it just almost impossible for anyone to keep except for, you know, they were looked upon as those that were able to keep the rules. And by keeping the rules, they were looked as people, looked up on it as people that were righteous. These are righteous and holy men. They're, they're able to keep the law and, you know, we should give them honor and respect. And we know that that's not true because Jesus just really unloads on them in Matthew chapter 21 and 23. He just, it's just like no, no bars hold, you know, it's just like he lets them have it. But let me just, while we're talking about rules for children, uh, parents from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, he says, now Paul writes to uh, the church at Ephesus, he says, and now a word to your parents. Don't keep on scolding and nagging your children, making them angry and resentful. Rather, bring them up with a loving discipline the Lord himself approves. The, the suggestions and with suggestions and godly advice. And, you know, this is what he's saying. Don't make, it so, don't, don't, don't make life so miserable. You know, I, I, you know, if you grew up, in, and many of you did, many of you grew up in a home where there was a lot of legalism. You know, I mean, you got to dress a certain way. You got to comb your hair a certain way. You know, I mean, you can't make wear makeup. You can't braid your hair. It's just like, you know, I mean, it's just like, what can I do? That's what I, when I first came to the Lord, it's like, my God, you know, I mean, what can I do? You know, I mean, it's just like there's so many rules and so many regulations, and it seems so oppressive. And, I, and I'm thinking, you know, do I really, is this something I really want? Do I want to be a part of this? And, and yet I knew... Uh, you know, the reality was that I knew that I was a sinner, and I knew that Jesus Christ had died for my sins. Uh, I didn't know about all the rules, and, and you know, honestly, many of them I broke, and, uh, you know, it's just like I would tell God, you know, just like, you know, I'm breaking them, and I don't even care that I'm breaking them. And, and you know, so, you know, it's not keeping of the rules that pleases God, not keeping all, he didn't look down and say, oh, man, there's, this guy just, you know, she's just keeping all those rules. Look at her. I love her so much. She's a rule keeper. No, he looks down at, at her, you know, the rule keeper, and her, the big sinner. <laughs> 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 and says, uh, I could have only done that to her. And I'll probably be getting some of that antifreeze when we get home. <laughs> But, uh, but seriously, you know, when God looks at us, he doesn't look at, you know, the ones that keep the rules or the ones that doesn't. He says, these are my kids. And if you're a parent, 
You know, it's like, you know, you got kids that are good one day and bad one day, and you don't think, oh, man, I love this one really. I really love this one a lot today, and I don't love this one, you know, that much today. Man, we love our kids. That's bottom line is it, that we love our kids. And that's the way it is with God, whether you're keeping the rules or not, whether you've been good or not. I'm going to tell you that God loves you today, that he loves you, and he has a plan and a purpose for your life. Let's keep going here. All right, and so uh, so Jesus wants to, uh, you know, he's, he wants to explain this, and he's talking about, as I mentioned, that the Pharisees, the scribes and the Pharisees, they had added to the, the law that was already hard to keep, but listen to some of the things that they had added to the law. This was, this was their right. This wasn't God's law, but this was their law. Matthew chapter 15. Uh, Jesus says, The law says to honor your mother and father, and anyone who curses his father and mother must be put to death. But you say, he's talking about the religious leaders. Now, you've changed what he's saying. is You've changed God's law, and now you're saying that Whatever help you might have otherwise received from me as a gift is devoted to God. There was something in the law that says that, you know what, you need to watch over your parents. You need to provide for your parents. And, uh, you know, I know today it's real easy. I mean, it's very convenient to, you know, and sometimes we just, you know, you, you, your parents get to the place where, you know, they're elderly and they need 24-7 nonstop care and you're not able to do that. But... What they were saying here is that the money that I'd set aside that I was going to use to take care of my parents, you know, I'm not going to give that, parent, that money to my parents anymore. I'm going to give it to God. And so the religious leaders, well, like, if you're giving it to God, that's got to come through the church or it's got to come through us. And great idea. I'm glad you guys thought of it. He says that uh, whatever help you might have otherwise have received from me is a gift devoted to God. He is not to honor his father with it. Thus you nullify, that's what he's saying. He says, you have nullified the word of God for the sake of your tradition or your writings or what you believe. Look, here's another one that he uses in Matthew chapter 23. And he's speaking to them. And if you think that Jesus held back, listen to this. He says, woe to you blind guides. You say, if someone swears by the temple, that's what he means. You say in your law, not God's law, but in your law, in these extra writings that you've added, this extra burden, it says, you say that if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. He said, you blind fools, which is greater, the gold of the temple or the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. That's what he's saying. You are saying this in your writings. It says it means nothing. Uh, but if anyone swears by the gift on it, he is bound by, the, by his oath. He says, you blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? And so Jesus is not making a lot of friends here. You can understand that, right? I mean, when he's publicly calling these uh, religious leaders, these are the religious leaders that the people are respecting. And when he calls them blind guides and when he calls them hypocrites, you know, it's not going well with them. All right. And so then the second part of the, the statement that he makes uh, that we just read, and he talks about 
him being the Lord of the Sabbath. He said, you know, that God made the Sabbath for man. We understand that, right? There's no way that Jesus, or how, we, we believe that Jesus is God, right? Don't, we believe that Jesus is God? All right, so the Sabbath was not made for God. The Sabbath was made for man. So even if Jesus did something in their mind that violated the Sabbath, he couldn't break it because he's God. The Sabbath was made for man and not for God. So even if he did something that would have been wrong, which he didn't because the word tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, he's talking about Jesus being our high priest, uh, how he understands our weakness since he had the same temptations that we do, though he never once gave way to them and sinned. We understand that Jesus never sinned. And again in uh, 2 Corinthians, we read that God made him, speaking about Jesus, God made Jesus who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And if you don't understand this, you guys, I'm taking you back to the, to the day that Jesus was crucified. And I think that the scripture says that from the sixth hour, I believe it was the sixth hour, is that right? No, it was from, it was from the twelfth hour. He was crucified at, at the ninth hour, right? Was that nine o'clock in the morning? I'm losing track of my time. I'm getting my, my, my today's clock and my 2,000-year-ago clock messed up. He was crucified at about 9 o'clock in the morning and uh, hung on the cross. And at about 12 o'clock during the day, the sky turned black. And uh, that's when Jesus cries out, you know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then the whole sky is like dark for about three. I mean, it's just absolutely dark for three hours. It's like dark, like night dark, okay? Not just like a little cloud, you know, coming overshadowing. It's like nighttime dark in the middle of the day. That should have got somebody thinking something ain't right, you know. But, you know, nonetheless, they keep on. But during that time, during that time, what's happening is when Jesus is dying on the cross, God is like gathering, if you can imagine this, God gathering all of the sin. All of the sin before Jesus, all of the sin of those people that were nailing him to the cross, all of the sin from the people the next day and the next month and the next year and the next hundred years and the next thousand years and the next couple of thousand years, he's gathering all of that sin and placing it on this sinless Lamb of God. Because we just read that Jesus had not sinned. And he places all of that sin upon him. And then he takes all of Jesus' goodness and said, if you want it, if you want his goodness, if you want his righteousness, you can't work for it, you can't keep enough rules to earn it for yourself, but if you want it, you just simply confess with your mouth. We read this last week in Romans chapter 9, or chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And that is what is called the great exchange. God took all of your sin, put it on Jesus, and God took all of his goodness, all of his righteousness, and made it available to those that believe in their heart that God has raised him from the dead and will confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. Okay? And then he says, 
Have you never read the second part of that? Have you never read? Now they're, they're complaining about Jesus breaking and Jesus and his disciples breaking their law. But he says, have you never read what David did when his companions were hungry? He entered into the house of God, taking the consecrated bread, and he ate it, which was lawful only for the priests to eat. All right, a little background on this. David has already been anointed king. All right, he, he is anointed king. Uh, king Saul has already fallen out of fellowship with God. He's already broken uh, and been disobedient to God. And God is saying, you know what? He told, he told Saul, he says, I have found a man after my, my own heart, a man that, that has a heart like I have, and his name is David. And, and, and God told Saul, your days are numbered. And so Saul understands that, and it's like he wants to fight against God, and he wants to kill David at the same time. So David is on, on the run for his life with King Saul and his army after him. And he's out of food. He's out of food and out of, you know, just, you know, he's got a group of men with him. And so he goes to the priest and he says, look, man, we need something to eat. What do you got? And the priest says, the only thing that I've got, the only thing that I've got here is the bread. And this bread is only lawful for priests to eat. And he ends up giving it to David. Now, what, what Jesus is saying is that, haven't you ever read that story? You know, you're talking about the disciples walking through the grain field and rubbing some grain together and violating your law, and you won't have any grace and you won't have any mercy on them because of what they're doing? Haven't you ever read the story about David going to the priest and eating the bread that was only lawful for the priest to eat? And how the priest and how God kind of overlooked that and, and gave them mercy and grace. And you won't do the same thing. And then he tells another story. Um, and I'm not going to read that one right there. But he tells another story. And, uh, or, or I'm going to tell you another story. He says that... Uh, And this is from Second Chronicles chapter 30. And this is really a cool story. That uh, just talking about the favor of God and how God overlooks things. Now, uh, and I don't want to skip this verse right here, Psalm 32. It says, blessed is he or blessed is the man or the woman whose sins are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man who, whose sins the Lord does not count against him. And that's exactly what happened. When David ate that bread, God didn't count that as a sin against him. David said, look, I'm going to honor you, God. I'm not going to kill this guy. I mean, you've anointed him to be king, and until it's my time to be king, I'll just stay on the run. But please, God, overlook this offense. Overlook this offense. And then we see again, and this is in 2 Chronicles chapter 30, <clears throat> Hezekiah is the king. There's the division between the two tribes. You've got ten tribes up north, the two tribes, Judah and Benjamin are down south. They haven't kept the Passover in years. I mean, it's just like, can you believe it? It's just like, you know, we just have forgot about God. And we're not going to church, we're not going to the temple, just everything is stagnant. And so Hezekiah, this godly man, says, you know what? 
I, I think it's time we keep the, the Passover. And not only are we going to keep it here, I want to send some runners. I want to send some couriers up into the northern kingdom. Invite these men and women that have been separated from God and separated from us. Invite them to come down. And so we pick up in uh, verse 15. It says, they slaughtered the Passover lamb on the 14th day of the second month. Now get this. Uh, you guys, those of you that you know, know your Jewish law and, and Jewish history, what, when was Passover? It was the 14th day of the, fir the first month, right? 14th day of the first month. But they are keeping it on the 14th day of the second month. And there was actually a provision in the law that said that if you couldn't consecrate yourself, if you couldn't become clean, if you couldn't become sanctified through the priest, there, were, there was a provision uh, in the law that allowed you to do that. But it said they slaughtered the lamb on the 14th day of the second month, and the priests and the Levites, they were ashamed. And the reason these religious leaders were ashamed is that they weren't ready. They had not prepared themselves. They had not even consecrated themselves for the burnt offerings of the temple. It was just like, that's going to be another year. We're not going to keep the Passover again. And then all of a sudden, you know, just this influx of people show up. They're hungry for God. They want to know more about God. And it's like the priests aren't ready. We should always be ready. And then we pick up in verse 18. And it says, although most of the, of the many people who came from Ephraim and Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulun had not purified themselves. Listen to this. I mean, I mean, this is part, the legal part of the law. This is not man's law. This is the legal part of the written part of God's law. Even though they had not purified themselves, it says they ate the Passover. Listen, contrary to what was written, but Hezekiah prayed for them and said, May the Lord who is good... Pardon everyone who sets his heart on seeking God, the Lord, the God of his Father. Even if he is not clean, according to the rules, all right, according to the rules, rule keepers, even if he's not clean according to the rules of the sanctuary, listen, and the Lord heard Hezekiah and healed the people. And see, it was just like God overlooked that. God, that's the kind of God that, that's the kind of God that we serve, okay? That's not the kind of God that many of us preach, and probably not the kind of God maybe that you grew up listening to and, and hearing about if you grew up in a legalistic, you know, rule-keeping household about if you don't do this, God's going to punish you. I mean, he's going to smack you. He's just waiting for you to get out of line kind of God. And I've, 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 I've been taught about that kind of God too. I like this, this God right here better. Okay, I like this God that heard Hezekiah's prayer and healed the people. I like the God that overlooked David eating the bread that was only allowed for the priest. So let me just, let me just ask you this, guys. Let's, we talk about rule keeping, okay? Let's just suppose you're walking through a neighborhood. And you see a house, you see smoke coming out of a house. And so you go over to check it out, you go to the back side of the house, I mean the whole thing is in flames. You walk around to the front side of the house and you look in the window and inside that window 
you see a baby crib, and inside that crib you see a baby, and that baby is screaming for his life. Okay, so you back up, and you walk back, and you grab a rock, and you throw it right through the front door. You reach inside, and you unlock that door, and you walk in, and you get that kid out of that crib, and you, you know, take him to the police station. You know, well, right there, guys, there's about four rules that you've broken. Number one, you've trespassed on the property. Number two, you've vandalized the property. You've thrown a, ro a rock through a window. Number three, you've, it's breaking and entering. And number four, you've kidnapped a kid, all right? Those are all, you know, just violations of the rule, to the laws. These are felonies that you could be convicted of. You think any judge in any court is going to convict you of that? No, he's not going to. He's not going to convict you of that. And, and, and I think that this is what Jesus was saying. You know, if there's a time to, you know, be merciful, have mercy, have mercy. Number, point number two, it says, you know, I want to just talk about what Jesus said. Is it lawful to do good or it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath day? And this is just another one of those Sabbath day stories. On another Sabbath, he went to the synagogue and he was teaching. And there was a man there whose right hand was shriveled. And it, it was, you know, the Greek translation there is like there was a birth defect. Either the hand wasn't there or it was withered. And you've seen this on some that have had uh, birth defects with just little nubs of fingers. And, you know, it just, it was not right. And um, the Pharisees and the teachers were, of the law were looking. Here we go, that, that looking. Could care less about this guy that had the withered hand. They're looking to see if Jesus is going to do something wrong. And so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath day. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. And so he got up and he stood there and Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or evil, to save life or to destroy it? There was no answer. Absolutely no answer. And then he goes on, and he looked around at all of them and said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was completely restored. But they were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. I just think about this. Well, I want you to think about the work part of this. They accused him of working on the Sabbath. But what was the work? I mean, did he roll up his sleeves? I mean, did he get the medicine chest out? Did he start giving shots and injections? Did he take the blood pressure? You know, did he do x-rays? What was the work that he did? He just simply said in a word, and the man's hand was healed. But then if you go back and look at the same story, Matthew adds a, a little sentence to it, and listen to this, same story. And he goes on to say, if any of you, talking to the religious leaders, if you have a sheep and it falls into the pit, or into a pit, or into a ditch on a Sabbath, 
Will you not take hold of it and lift it out? Of course they would. It pro- I'm guessing that that probably happened to some of the people that he's standing in front of. Some of these religious leaders, they probably have, you know, in the past, you know, on their way to, to the Sabbath, uh, to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and they look out at the barn and somehow a sheep had fallen into the well or got tangled into some kind of briar or something, and they thought, you know, it would be cruel to leave that animal like that. Let's get him undone. And so they go over and, and loose the sheep. And then he goes on to say, how much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath day. And so, kind of bringing this home, you know, they continue to look at Jesus. They, they continue to scrutinize. They keep looking for ways to find him in traps. And guys, we're only in chapter 6, and we've got a long ways to go to get through Luke. Uh, through Luke. But uh, I, I want us to just kind of back up and... Uh, you know, as I think about Jesus, and I think about, you know, just, you know, his great love for us. He's not just saying that I'm the sacrificial lamb that takes away your sins. But he's saying that I'm the sacrificial lamb that can change your heart. I don't just, I'm not just going to save you so that you can go to heaven. I know that all of you, all of us, there are no perfect people. Let's get this clear right now. No perfect people in this place. But we do serve a perfect God. And we serve a perfect Savior. And Jesus is saying that, you know, guys, I didn't just come to die for your sins. I'm not just a sacrificial lamb that came to die for your sins. I'm the sacrificial lamb that came that can change your heart. So that all these rules that you've been trying to keep, all of these struggles that you have in your life, and I can list them all, but all of us deal with different issues. And so whatever it is, you can fill in the blank this morning. You confess this is sin. You say, Lord, please forgive me for I have, and you start listing those sins, whatever that sin may be. And, 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 and many times we're saying, you know, God, I'll try harder. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to try harder not to do that again. I don't want to do it. I feel guilty. I feel ashamed. That's part of what sin does. That's just kind of the nature of sin. It makes us feel guilty and ashamed, and it makes us feel like Peter felt when, you know, I think in uh, Luke chapter 5, earlier in Luke chapter 5, after the great catch when he falls down in front of Jesus, and he says, Lord, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. This is what sin, this is how sin makes us feel, that we want to be apart from God. We want to be separated from God. We want to run from God. It's what caused Adam and Eve to hide in the garden. It's the nature. It's what happens. It's what sin does. It wants to separate us from God, make make us feel dirty and guilty and ashamed. And we keep trying to fix it. We keep trying to fix it ourselves. Say, God, I'll try better. I'll try harder, God. And and what Jesus is saying, you know, don't, don't try harder. Don't try to fix it. You invite me to come in. I'm not, I'm not just a sacrificial lamb that died for your sins, but I'm the sacrificial lamb that can change whatever issue you're facing, whatever issue you're dealing with. No matter how hard it may seem to you, you may have been working on this for 15 or 20 years, and then all of a sudden you just say, Jesus, come into my life and fix this. And man, all of a sudden, it's just like, where'd that problem go? What happened? Jesus shows up. 
Jesus shows up. All right, let me wrap this up. So, we're in chapter 6. Jesus started his ministry at the end of Luke chapter 4. We've gone a little less than a chapter and a half. Let me show you what's happened in a chapter and a half. All the people, this is Luke 4, the people in the synagogue were furious at Jesus. He's, he's making friends and enemies everywhere he goes. It's just, you know, like some of the people hate him, some of the people love him, the crowds love him, want to be close to him, want to touch him, want to listen to him. But some of the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up and drove him out of town. They took him to the brow of a hill on which the town was built in order to throw him over the cliff. We know that Jesus just kind of passes through the crowd. In Luke 5, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow that speaks blasphemy? Only God can forgive sin. Only God and God alone. Luke 5.30, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? In verse 33, they said to him, John disciples fast often and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. In verse 11, they were furious, and they began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. And we still got a lot of Luke to cover, and in every chapter it's the same thing. The religious leaders are opposed to him. All right, I want to wrap this up by asking you a question. Who are you most like? Are you most like the Pharisees? Or are you most like Jesus? Or are you more like Jesus? Now, I know we all want to say we're more like Jesus. But I tell you what, guys, if you're like me, some days I wake up and I think, man, you better go get saved. Seriously. I mean, with thoughts like that, and, you know, one day I can pass by the guy on the street that's got the sign, and I'm thinking, sure, man, here, take it. The other day, I'm screaming, dude, get a job! It's like, what is with me? It's just like I, you know, it's like I, you know, I struggle. Am I the only one in here that struggles with that? No, we all do. And so someday I, I wake up and I think, okay, I'm going to be like Jesus. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be merciful. I'm going to love people today. I'm going to do whatever you want me to do, Lord. And the next thing I know, I'm screaming and yelling at people on the corner, get out of my way, I'm in a hurry. You know, and it's just like I'm not showing mercy or compassion or kindness. And, and I'm just thinking, Lord, this struggle that's going on within me, you know, help me to be more like Jesus. And I believe that we're here today because that's what we want to do. We want to be more like Jesus. Uh, there's an old song by a guy by the name of Mylon Lefebvre. And the verses of that song, it says, I want to, I need to be more like Jesus. And that's the way I feel today. I want to, and I need to be more like Jesus. Stand with me, please. Father, that's how we want to pray. 
that we want to and we need to be more like Jesus. And God, we know it's not by keeping rules and regulations like the Pharisees were trying to get Jesus and his disciples to do. Lord, your word says, and Jesus said, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, but it's the sick. And Father, I believe that most of us would say, we need the doctor this morning. We need Jesus to come in and change our hearts, Lord. You know, areas where we are bitter or angry and we have unforgiveness toward people. We have unclean thoughts, Lord. Uh, we have sexual thoughts that are wrong, Lord. We do things that are wrong. We ask you, Father, help us to be more like your son. We ask that your Holy Spirit would come in. Your son would come in and transform our lives, change our lives today so that we could be like your son, Jesus, Lord. 